Tonight, we're going to hear God speak to us in His Word, and He's going to tell you exactly how to not waste your life. In fact, He's going to tell you how to live the best life you ever could. And it is better than you could ever imagine. Better than you could ever imagine. So now I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God that as we would hear Him speak, that He just help us to understand. Would you pray with me? God, we want to thank you that you've spoken to us in your word, the Bible, and that as we read the words on the page, that we are hearing you speak to us. And we ask that tonight, as we hear you speak, that you would help us to understand and that you would help show us the best way to live. Amen. All right. Well, before we get cranking into, into chapter 5, I want to get our heads a little bit more in here, right? So back in chapter 4, Jesus has been going around and he's called his first disciples, his first followers. You get that in chapter 4, verse 18, 19. And they're, they're no one special, right? They're just fishermen. Jesus goes, yo, you're with me. Cool. They drop their stuff and they follow him. Next thing that happens after that, 23, 24, 25, Jesus getting famous, right? He's going around, he's healing people, people are bringing sick people to him, and he's becoming a really big deal. It's kind of like when One Direction stay in a hotel, they just get these people absolutely everywhere, all right? They're all over the shop. That'd be a little bit like Jesus walking around. There's just people absolutely everywhere. You know, you know a sick person, where are you going to take him? Well, you're going to take him to Jesus, right? He's healing people all over the shop. Now, imagine that you're one of the disciples. You've just been called by Jesus you're a fisherman, what are you thinking at this point? I reckon you think you've hit the big time, right? You're a fisherman and now all of a sudden you're walking around, there's crowds following you everywhere, you've, you're, you're a fisherman to, to famous, it's great, you can't wait to write home and tell mum all about it, what a big deal you are and it's at that point, with that going through, 5 verse 1, Jesus sees these crowds and that's when he takes his disciples up and speaks to them. And that's an important thing to note. He's speaking to his disciples. Can you see that in verse 2? And what he tells them now is what the best life looks like. What the best life looks like. We call them the Beatitudes, which is kind of weird, but it just means blessings, right? So you get that all the way through. Blessed is, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. But even blessed, blessed is a pretty weird word. We kind of only ever hear it when we sneeze and we get a cheeky bless you from grandma or something. Or if you're my grandma, she just says, what? At anything I say, <laughs> doesn't matter what it is. But blessed here kind of just means it's fortunate, right? So the person who is blessed, you want to be like them. They got it good. They've got the good life. It's kind of, you know, this person stoked. They're stoked. But it's even better because God is looking down and going, this person is stoked. They're favoured by God. It's the best. And another important thing here is that these aren't different blessings for different types of people, right? So you don't have, I don't know, you've got your John over here and he's poor in spirit, so he's blessed for that. But then over here you've got Beryl and she's mourning and good on your Beryl and you've got Jonas. I'm really not good at names. But they're not different things for different people, right? These are all qualities that followers of Jesus should have. So every single one of these is what all of Jesus' followers should be. And that's the best life. And the first thing we're going to see as we dig into them and see what they are, is that the best life is the opposite of what you think it is. It's the opposite of what you'd expect. 
So let's have a look at the first couple of blessings. Uh, verse 3, 4, 5, and 6. So we got blessed are the poor in spirit. We got blessed are those who mourn. Uh, blessed are the meek. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now these blessings are all kind of similar, right? They're kind of clumped together. And they all talk about what we should want and what we should think. The person who has the best life, what are their, what are their desires like? I think one that sums them up really well is the first one. Blessed are, those, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, sorry. So what does it mean? Well, to be poor means to have nothing, right? We get that. You're poor, you've got nothing. And so in spirit, before God, we've got nothing. It's recognizing that we're spiritually broke. It's, it's the person who, um, who gets that they're a sinner, that in what they've done and what they've thought, they've offended God. And because of that, they get that God's angry with them. God's angry at sin, and so they know that they don't deserve anything but judgment. And see, that's us. We've got nothing to offer of our own. We've got no defense against it. We just acknowledge that we're stuffed. We depend on God to show grace and forgive us, to give us that which we don't deserve. And that shows us something really important, I think, the idea of of being poor in spirit. It shows you there's nothing that you can do yourself to make you right with God. And that's huge. You think you're a good person, but really you're not. You think think you're nice a bunch of the time, but you're not nice to everyone, and you're not nice all the time. You think, I go to to youth a fair bit, I go to church a bit, it doesn't matter. Your family are maybe religious, it doesn't matter. We've got nothing before God. We just deserve judgment. And the only thing that matters for us is that we would trust in Jesus' death and resurrection that pays for our sin, because we've got nothing to offer. Spiritually broke. The rest of those, uh, those couple f- follow along from that one, I reckon. So we've got verse 4, have a look. Blessed are those who mourn. Now this isn't saying just blessed is the guy who's always moping around, always sad, but because we're poor in spirit, because we're spiritually broke, we mourn, we're, we're devastated. How, what's the link there? Why is that? Well, we know that personally, our sin offends God. So we're devastated. How how could I treat him like that? How could I keep treating him like that? But even bigger, we, we mourn for the whole world, right? Jesus himself weeps over the sin of the world and we should be devastated about how messed up our world is. Do you see that? It's messed up. And, and don't believe the lie that, that the world is just a nice place full of nice people doing nice things, because it's just not. This week, a mum was charged with murdering her eight-year-old boy. Eight years old. That's messed up. And we should feel that, and we should mourn over it, because it's not the way the world's supposed to be. It's devastating. Sin shows itself so much which should devastate us. The next one, verse 5, blessed are the meek. This isn't stoked as the wuss or the wimp, but it's, it's the humble person. They're dependent on God, so they're humble. Makes sense. Come to verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is wanting to obey God more, be more like Him. That's the, the righteousness that it's talking about there. And we kind of, we get that language of hunger and thirst, right? So imagine, imagine you're stuck middle of the desert, right? I don't know how you got there. Bad luck. You're in the middle of the desert. You haven't eaten for a week. You haven't drunk water for a bunch of days. 
you can start feeling that dryness in your mouth and you're getting hungry and you're probably thinking, Jordan, you don't look like you've been hungry for a while, but that's all right. But how much at that point after being there are you thinking, I just want a cheeky box of chicken nugs, maybe a frozen Coke, maybe a little something-something. That, that, hung, that hunger, that thirst, we get that we're broken and we want to obey Jesus better, to be more godly. Like the person stuck in the desert craves water, craves food. We need to crave to be more godly. Is that you? When you hear that, can you say, that's me? Do you want sin gone in your life? Do you feel that? Do you want to know God better and obey Him better? Do you want that? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's the first set, all right? We're going well. There's the first set of them, and we'll jump into the next couple, and they're talking about the character of the person who has the best life, what, they, what they're like, what they do, all right? So check it out. We got, uh, we're in verse 7 now, following along. Blessed are the merciful. And how can we not be, right? We get that we've been shown mercy by God. We deserve judgment, and if we trust in Jesus, he doesn't give it to us because he's given it to Jesus. We've been shown mercy. And so if we've been shown that, how can we not go and show mercy to other people? How could we not do that? You know, this is the person who is quick to forgive because they get that God forgave them. In fact, I think Jesus is saying, if you can't forgive other people when they've wronged you, then maybe you don't get the, the forgiveness that you've been shown. Maybe that's the case. Do you hold grudges or do you forgive? We've got verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart. This isn't the, the perfect person. We know no one's perfect. But it's the person who loves God with everything they've got and they show it with what they do. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's the opposite of the person who wants to start a fight all the time, Right? We all know that guy who's always ready for a fight and probably would never win one. But we shouldn't, we shouldn't seek to be angry or, or divide people all the time. We should seek peace and actively go and make it. Not just hope it happens, go and make it. But there's a bigger peace than just stopping fights, I reckon. Because Jesus is the best peacemaker there is. Because he makes peace between us and God. God and us were enemies. Our sin separates us and Jesus comes and takes that sin away. The best peace that you can bring people is telling them the good news about Jesus. Are you on about that? Are you on about telling other people about Jesus? We're up to the last couple. Now, last group, this talks about what happens to the person who has the best life. And this one is just going to backhand you with a cold fish. It's going to wake you up big time because it is the exact opposite of what you've been told the good life is your whole life. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted. And he emphasizes this one. Can you see it again? Pops up again in verse 11. But there's a subtle change. You see what it is? Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and, f- and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. This is when Jesus eyeballs his disciples. Blessed are you when you're persecuted, when it happens, when you suffer. It's an immediate thing, and Jesus is saying it's definitely going to happen. 
You see, it makes sense though, right? If you're showing all the things that we've seen so far, if you're the person who is poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hunger and thirsting, all of them, then you're going to look heaps different to the world, I reckon. You're going to look super different to most people. And so there's no surprise that you're going to be treated differently. Because the world hates Jesus. If you're on his team, there's no surprise that you're going to cop it. No surprise whatsoever. Which is hard, because we try so hard to make people like us. You guys heard of um, the Western Sydney Wanderers? You guys know them? Shake your hands up. A couple of you. I'll give you a backstory, right? So they're, they're a soccer team. They're in, the, they're in Western Sydney, surprisingly, and they are wanderers. Um, they, they're kind of known for being brutes, all right? So they, they light their flares in games. They, uh, they've got their fireworks. They start fights. They're kind of, they're a bit crazy. Now, imagine you go, all right, I like my, uh, my Central Coast Mariners. And so you go to a game and you go, where can I sit? I'm going to sit right in the middle of, uh, of the Western Sydney Wanderers. So you sit down and here we have on display my Photoshop skills. Thank you very much. All right. <laughs> What do you think is going to happen to you? What do you think is going to happen to you if you walk in with your little Mariner's jersey and sit right with them? You're going to cop it, right? You're going to cop it. And there should be no surprise that it's not going to end well for you. No surprise at all. If you're wearing the jersey of Jesus, if you look like this, then it's no surprise you're going to cop it. No surprise at all. So the question becomes... Are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Are you willing to cop it? Some of you, I know, will already be experiencing this. You might have lost friends because you trust Jesus. You might get bullied at school because you trust Jesus. And if that's not you, if you are trusting Jesus, then it will happen to you. Everyone who is a Christian will suffer for it. In fact, it's a promise. We see it in, in 2 Timothy 3, Anyone who wants to live a godly life, anyone who wants to live a godly life, will be persecuted. Not might be persecuted, not there's a good chance they'll be persecuted, they will be persecuted. You'll suffer for following Jesus. There was a guy, um, his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, pretty cool name. He lived, um, he lived in Germany at the time of the Nazis, right? He was a, a pastor. Uh, and at that time, as Hitler, Hitler comes to power, he starts shutting down churches, stopping the spreading of Jesus, starts killing people. And so anyone who keeps their church going knows that they're doing that at the risk of torture, death to them, their family. Bonhoeffer kept going. He kept his church going and then eventually he moved it a bit secret. And then all of his mates bailed and eventually so did he. So he went to the US, but he didn't stay there. He went back. You've got to be thinking, why would he go back? He knows what's there. He knows what's waiting for him. But Bonhoeffer said, there's no way as a disciple of Jesus I can stay here when that's happening. And so he went back and he kept preaching the gospel and he was arrested, taken to a concentration camp and he was killed. He got what it was like to suffer for his saviour. And he went after it. This is something he wrote not long before he died. The Lord gives great honour to his servants when he brings them suffering. The Lord 
gives great honour to his servants when he brings them suffering. This is a guy who understood that suffering for Jesus was not just worthwhile, but it's an honour. It's the best life. But it's at this point, you surely listening, I've got to be like, this just can't be the case, right? Because nothing in here looks good. How is it good that I'm mourning? How is it good that I'm persecuted? I reckon some of you have picked it up, but we haven't gone through the second half of each blessing. And as we do that now, it's going to show us that to have the best life, you've got to be willing to wait. You've got to be willing to wait. Notice each of the second half. So we've got verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Verse 5, they will inherit the earth. Verse 6, they will be filled. It will happen, just not yet. It's going to happen, just not right now. We're going, we will go watch the dog show. And I'm pumped for it. We're just not doing it right now. But it's coming. But notice verse 3 and verse 10. What does their say? There's is the kingdom. Verse 3, blessed are the the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Well, hold on a second, because that's very different, right? Before we've got it will, here we've got theirs is, future, now, what's happening? Well, Matthew's doing this thing as he writes, right? So he sets up verse 3, the first one, and he highlights it. And he goes, theirs is the kingdom, all the rest of them. Verse 10 highlights it, theirs is the kingdom. And when he does that, we're meant to look at it and go, all of these are about the kingdom. All of these future things are about the kingdom of God as well. And the kingdom of heaven is the the eternal, uncontested reign and rule of the King Jesus that we are fully going to enjoy forever if we trust in him. But there's still that question, yeah, of how can it be there's is the kingdom, there's is it now, but the other things are will happen. How can that be the case? Well, this is how the kingdom works. As we, as we hear the call of Jesus to repent and trust in him, as we do that, we enter the kingdom. We are in it. If you're trusting in Jesus, then you've entered the kingdom of heaven. We are saved people. You are washed clean. The debt of your sin is gone and you start to change now. That happens. You enjoy the benefits of the kingdom here and now. But not in its fullness. Not all of it. We've got to wait. The kingdom will fully come when Jesus comes back. And so we won't. The kingdom is now in a sense and it's not yet. I think that's why it makes it so hard to live like this tells us to live. (laughs) Because it doesn't feel good to mourn now. It just never does. It doesn't feel good to, to be persecuted. It just doesn't. But we need to stop looking down at now and look forward to what's coming. There will come a day when we're comforted fully. It just might not be yet. (laughs) Living like this is the best life 
because of the eventual outcome. Living like this is the best life because of what's coming. It's all about delayed gratification. You heard that term? It's about getting what you want, but having to wait for it. There's this thing called um, the marshmallow experiment. All right? Marshmallow experiment. In it, they get, um, there's these scientists, they take these kids into a, I don't know why I did this, no kid is this big. They take a kid <laughs> into a room and they sit them down, and the kid's like, all right, and they put a marshmallow on the table in front of them. And they go, I'm going to go away. All right? I'm going to come, come over here, I'm going to get another marshmallow and bring it back. If you cannot eat that one and wait for me to get back, you'll have another one, and then you can eat two. The kid's like, okay. But if, if you just want to eat that marshmallow, you're not going to get the second one when I come back. Okay. So it, it seems easy, right? You wait, you just get a second one. I've got a bit of a video of it. Check it out. Oh, it looks like a nice marshmallow. Oh, this is hard. Oh, it smells good. Oh, no. Don't look at it. Oh, no, I looked at it. Oh, this is not good. Oh, it really does smell good. Oh, my goodness. Don't look at it. Don't look at it, Marshall. Don't look at it. Maybe just touch it. Oh, I'm touching it. Oh, this is... Oh, still smells good. Still smells good. Touch it. Oh, it smells better up here. Oh, no, just put it back. Don't touch it. <laughs> oh, look, a song. We're going to sing. <laughs> no, we're not going to sing yet. What do you reckon happens? What do you reckon happens? They eat it. They can't wait. Some of them just poke it for a while. Some try to not look at it and just... Mm. Eventually, they give in, they eat the marshmallow, and they don't get the second one. I don't know about you. That seems crazy. You're like, just wait. There's another one coming. You just wait, you get the better thing. It's kind of funny, but we do this all the time, right? We, we game instead of study, or we, we spend stuff now instead of save, save for something better later. We do this stuff all the time. <laughs> we, want the, we want the lifestyle we saw in the Instagrams at the start. We don't really want to wait for them. We want to change stuff. Can I get it now? But we want it now without thinking about, what am I getting for eternity? What am I getting forever? And it's, it's funny when it's about one marshmallow versus two marshmallows, but it's not funny when it's about our eternal life and where we're going forever. How much longer are we going to live? 50 years? 60 years? don't know. In heaven, we will live not for 50 years, not for 60 years, but forever in a perfect place with no pain, no suffering, and no death. To get what you want in this life without thinking about what you're getting forever is the stupidest thing you can ever do. It's the stupidest thing you could ever do because you'll be a waste. Heaven is worth waiting for. It's that good. It's better than anything we could ever imagine. And it just puts the Instagrams to shame. Christianity is all about the future. It's just a waiting game. And we're waiting for what's coming. Jesus says we need to keep the end goal at the front of our minds. We find that really hard to do. If you're here tonight 
and you're not a Christian, then I want to ask you, why aren't you? If you think it's because it makes your life boring now, then you've completely missed the point of it. Because Christianity is a waiting game. Following Jesus doesn't just give us the good life now, it does, but it gives us the best life forever. You've just got to be willing to wait. Look forward, not down. For those of you tonight who, who are Christians, who do trust Jesus, what does your life look like? At the start, I asked you to think about what you would change, what you would change that would mean that you had the best life ever. What was that for you? What did you say? What were you thinking? Money? Have you had a boyfriend, a girlfriend? If you could party more, if you could travel, you've missed the point. What job do you want after school? Better question, why do you want it? Do you want it so you can make good money to go do all the things you want to do? Do you want it because it's just going to be fun and you want to do what you want to do as you're doing that? That's thinking about now and being a Christian is about thinking about forever. To have the best life is to be a follower of Jesus. It gives us the good life now and it gives us the best life forever. It won't always seem like the good life now, but the best is coming. The kingdom of heaven is coming where you will live forever, no pain, no sickness, no death. You'll do it with the Lord and Saviour, Jesus. It's coming. Live your life like it's coming. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that you would allow us to enter into your kingdom, that you would send Jesus to take our sin upon himself so that we can be forgiven if we trust in him. Pray that you would help us to to change the way that we think and to change the way that we act so that we would think about forever instead of thinking about here all the time. We pray that our lives would show that that's what we're thinking. Amen.